Toronto's Young Dundas Square will now be called Sankofa Square after a vote by city council. The word Sankofa relates to a tribe known to be involved in the slave trade. 1.6 million Canadian children and youth struggle with mental health disorders and barriers to treatment, which means that it could take up to 2.5 years before being seen by a professional. The Liberal government wants to speed up permanent residency for hundreds of thousands of undocumented migrants illegally residing in Canada. Hello Canada, it's Monday, December 18th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Cosman Georgia. And I'm Lindsay Shepard. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Toronto City Council voted unanimously on Thursday to change the name of Toronto's world-famous Young Dundas Square to Sankofa Square in order to distance it from Henry Dundas's purported connection to the transatlantic slave trade. The word used by the City of Toronto, True North has learned, originated from a tribe known for its role in the slave trade. While Dundas was in fact an abolitionist, the Akan people of Ghana, from whom the word Sankofa comes, were active participants in the slave trade and imported slaves to develop their own economy. As scholar A. Norman Klein, reviewing the work of renowned Ghana historian Ivor Wilkes, wrote, The Akan exchanged their gold for these slaves, who rewarded their Akan masters by creating an agricultural revolution during the 15th and 16th centuries. The Khan people imported slaves to help clear their forests, where they searched for gold and also sold slaves to Europeans, fueling the transatlantic slave trade. In 2006, Ghana apologized to descendants of slaves for its role in the slave trade. Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow said the name change is part of the city's commitment to confronting anti-black racism, advancing truth, reconciliation and justice, and building a more inclusive and equitable city. I think it's important to mention the fact that this activist-driven name change for the purpose of virtue signaling will cost Toronto residents a significant sum. The last estimates I saw for stripping Henry Dundas from official place names valued in around $8.6 million. And this is at a time when the city is essentially broke. After Mayor Olivia Chow was voted into office, it seems like she made this one of her key missions for Toronto. Originally, it was John Tory who was pressured into the move by Black Lives Matter protesters, and it seems like both mayors have very little concern for the historical reality. There are many doubts about Henry Dundas's reported involvement in the slave trade, including by serious historians, and to rename the square after a tribe implicated by the very same historical wrongs these activists allege seems very short-sighted, and indicative of how little concern they have for the truth of the matter. Cosman, now that there's more context around what the word Sankofa actually means, and that it is more supportive of slavery than 
you know, the name of Henry Dundas was. Uh, I think the city councilors who voted for this are probably actually pretty embarrassed. I'm wondering if they maybe behind the scenes are trying to find a way to reverse this. But, um, you know, I wish I could say that, you know, Canadians won't call this Sankofa Square and there's going to be revolt and no one's going to actually do this. We all know that people are going to go along with it. That's it's kind of the worst part of Canadian culture right now is who knows why these people got elected. I, I mean, you know, Canadians elected these um, ridiculous city councillors who think they're doing good by doing silly things like changing names. They come out with the name Sankofa and Canadians may groan or roll their eyes but they'll go along with it and probably in a couple decades from now or maybe you know much less actually much less than that it'll just be Sankofa Square and that'll be that and um, that's kind of how demoralized Canada is. An estimated 1.6 million children and youth struggle with mental health disorders in Canada with alarmingly long waits for treatment, sometimes up to 2.5 years, reveals a new report. The report released Thursday by Children's Healthcare Canada and the Conference Board of Canada, Nurturing Minds for Secure Futures, shows that the most common reasons that children and youth need access to mental health care services and support are anxiety and depression. Response and support by families, healthcare, and community-based health services for children and youth with anxiety and or depression cost Canada $4 billion a year. The $4 billion price tag is primarily towards $3.5 billion for publicly funded systems like healthcare, mental health care, and substance abuse and addiction. If Canada invests in mental health care services and supports to reduce the prevalence of anxiety and depression disorders to pre-pandemic levels, the costs would decrease from $4 billion to $1.5 billion per year, claims the research. Without timely investments, the lifetime cost of just one cohort of children with the onset of anxiety and or depression at the age of 10 is close to $1 trillion, according to the research. The researchers argue that investments in children's mental health today focusing on accessible and inclusive programming for vulnerable populations could save $28 billion annually. Cosman, we all know that the lockdowns, you know, the government lockdowns, the ones that they brought on, really caused a lot of mental health issues in children and youth because they were so isolated. And I don't discount that at all. And I wouldn't want to be flippant, but I do sometimes question this mental health narrative among Gen Zs because it seems like they all have some sort of um, mental health disorder that they like to boast about. And, you know, someone who can't show up to work on time because they have a hard time dealing with anxiety about going to work, that's very different than some sort of aggressive form of schizophrenia. But those both fall under the umbrella of mental health. So, Cosman, are you taking the research here at face value? In a way, I think both can be true at the same time. Uh, In many ways, past generations have really left the future with very little to be hopeful for. As you mentioned, the pandemic really brought a sledgehammer down on many people's hopes, especially the youth. And I think it's the responsibility of older generations to nurture and set up the future and and the following generations who will 
truthfully carry this society forward. But you're right to point out that with a lot of young people and Generation Z, like I, I know in my own life, there seems to be a lack of work ethic and claiming mental illness is also kind of in vogue now. It's like one of the things that you attach to your personality alongside with gender and other things. But that's not to discredit the actual suffering that I think is going on. So it's a difficult problem because you have to weed out where are the serious situations and how can we as a society treat those and also recognize that there are certain things uh, about the modern like social media culture and, and, and the fact that everybody's lives are totally and completely online. How do we make a distinction between the factual and just the attention seeking? This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The liberals are set to introduce a program granting legal residency to hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants who've been living and working in Canada for years. Immigration Minister Mark Miller outlined a broad and comprehensive program which would allow many illegal immigrants to apply for permanent residency in an interview with The Globe and Mail. The program would also aim to regularize the status of individuals who have overstayed their visa, such as those who came as temporary workers or international students and never left when their visas expired. Miller acknowledged the divisive nature of the policy, but said this just means there is a need for a greater conversation as a country. Recent polling showed that 67% of Canadians believe that the country's current immigration target of admitting 500,000 new permanent residents each year is too high. The proposed plan comes amidst growing public scrutiny over immigration rates and their impact on Canadian society, including housing affordability and job market dynamics. Miller explained that initiating a path to citizenship specifically for illegal construction workers could effectively act as a pilot for the broader program he intends to propose to cabinet. He acknowledged, however, the potential grievances of immigrants who entered Canada through legal channels, who might perceive this as an unfair advantage for those they consider having got a pass. Miller said plans for a program that will be launched shortly, designated to permit construction workers currently residing in Canada without legal status to apply for residency. Miller said plans for a program that will be launched shortly designed to permit construction workers currently residing in Canada without legal status to apply for residency. This initiative aims to mitigate the shortage of skilled workers in the Canadian home building sector. The main question on my mind that I would put to Minister Miller would be if these construction workers are already in Canada, why haven't they provided the amount of homes we require with the Liberal government's current immigration targets? How would granting legal residency 
permanent residency to these workers that are already here solve the problem. Cosman, when I saw the headline announcing this new measure, it was one of those stories where you, it must be fake, but then you read it and you realize, oh, it's real because it's Canada. I think the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of people is, you know, is this really the kind of people that we are wanting to open our arms to is those who didn't enter the country and or didn't stay in the country in the proper and legal way. What we need at this time is an immigration moratorium, or we need to drastically lower the targets because Canadian healthcare services, the housing market, um, we can't keep up with the number of people that are entering the country. And now we're putting out the message, well, I mean, Immigration Minister Mark Miller is putting out the message that, oh yeah, if you come here as an international student or temporary worker and you just kind of stay past your visa expiration, it's okay. We'll just accept you as a permanent resident and then a citizen. So he's sending the message that Canada's immigration system is even more of a joke than previously thought. That's it for today, folks. Don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thank you.